Welcome back to Random Badassery, the podcast dedicated to creativity, and welcome to our first bonus episode. And why is it a bonus episode? What is a bonus episode? Well, a bonus episode is what we like to call episodes that we make when we're completely unprepared because we had something else planned. Uh, schedules are the type of things that uh, just get derailed very easily. We had an interview planned for tonight. We're going to do that interview next week. So tonight you get Lamb and Chad unfiltered which means we have no idea what we're going to talk about because we plan for something completely different. But first, before we continue with this long-winded introduction, let's say hello to my faithful friend, Lam Wen. Hello, everybody. Ah, uh, this is nice. When we first tried this, there was a huge delay, and Lam's <laughs> hello didn't come back for about seven seconds. So it's nice <laughs> to know that we're in sync now. We've had that problem before where we were recording, and it came back unsynced and it was a nightmare hmm. well how are you let's start there how are you doing lamb uh doing fantastic actually uh made some interesting life changes this week so uh i'm hoping that yeah it, it's it's kind of good timing on both of our, our parts i i was mentioning prior to the start of the episode that you know chad's got to lead this episode because uh, i really have no idea what to talk about but turns out and just 10 or 15 seconds worth of thinking, uh, I can pretty much describe what's been happening over the last seven days of my life and maybe give some insight into what making certain choices can do to a person <laughs> and how broadly that can change one's outlook very, very quickly. I mean, we are always in this strange sync thing between the two of us where we come into these episodes. If you guys are new or you haven't heard us say this before, when we come into these episodes, we're prepared, but we're not prepared for each other in the sense that we come in with our own stuff and we just present what we have to each other. We surprise each other uh, in front of you guys. We're not uh, coming in with this plan that we have some collaboration topic. And what tends to happen is uh, somehow we end up talking into each other's points without any planning. And what you're saying about uh, reorganizing is kind of, uh, or reorganizing, reprioritizing, uh, you'll have to go into detail and tell us. It fits into what I was going to talk about. So why don't you tell us what you mean? Um, you know, for, for quite some time now, I've, I've really disliked the nature of my job. Um, I don't like my commute. I don't like, you know, the, the, the unchallenging feel of what I'm doing at work. And, you know, we always talk about making choices and, and determining the right path for you as a person in order to make yourself happy because no one controls your happiness but yourself. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are certain external factors that, that can challenge that, um, but how you deal with those things is typically much more an indicator of um, what your happiness level is versus the thing itself. Um, so I have made a concerted effort to reach out to certain people and start doing some of the stuff I love again uh, when, for work and not just uh, from an artistic front. So. Uh, I'm getting back into the coffee world and helping a friend of mine um, who is running a candy, sl a chocolate slash coffee shop store kind of thing. Um, and I'm having a hilariously fun time doing it. Um, you know, for any of you who, who don't know, uh, way back in my history, um, I worked, managed, and then eventually owned uh, part of a coffee shop. And it was some of the best years of my life. So, you know, in, in you know, why, and, you know, why, and, you know, why, why just go back and do a lot more of the things that I really really enjoyed um at some point and one of those things was uh making sharing teaching and 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 learning about coffee so um i started doing that um actually made the first big steps to that today and uh i find myself much more generally happy it's kind of strange 
We've talked about this a little bit before, but like maybe not in um, specific examples, but this is a really good chance to to dig into this. We're, you know, we've mentioned before in passing, I think, that uh, our happiness, it comes from this sense of priority. This, I mean, this priority, this sense of purpose. Wrong P word. Uh, it comes with a sense of purpose. And when, when we feel like uh, we're not doing anything, we're not moving forward, we're not doing anything, those are the times when we're actually unhappy. And all these other things that we associate with happiness are actually not true. Um, they're just these ideas that we've either been sold, we've been raised with, um, ideas we've come up to believe. And some of them are very healthy things. But, uh, you know, for example, happiness with family. And we think, well, I'm happy because of family. Well, that's kind of true. You're not happy because your family exists. You're happy because there's uh, something going on in that relationship. Um, You feel like you're getting closer. You feel like you're sharing things. You feel like you're doing things. So it's interesting to to hear that you're stumbling on these things in, in your own life. I'm I'm actually curious. You and I have never talked about this before, really. Why did you leave the coffee world? Um, that's that's a great question, actually. Um, I did it in my mid twenties, um, getting out of the coffee world. That is, and I think a lot of it is at the time I really wanted to focus more on. You know what it really was? It's 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 the moment the moment in which I discovered that I needed to travel um, for a significant portion of my life. Um, and even now, I still feel that feeling. Um, I have to, at least 30 to 40% of my life has to be nomadic. So I have to see new things, do new things. And at the time, um, the coffee shop had turned into a bit of a routine. Um, and I was, you know, it was doing well and it was competing. Um, even though we had a Starbucks right across the street from us, we were such a different brand um, and a different style of coffee that we were actually pretty successful. Um, and so because of that, I think uh, I kind of left um, at the highest point, uh, you know, the coffee shop was very, very successful. Um, and I got out as it was at its high and decided to travel the earth. Um, so I went to three different continents in two years, um, in order to broaden my perspective and kind of see the world for what it really was and, and to get a sense of, of what life was like for other people around the world. Um, from a perspective that was much more real and tangible. So I went to other countries, not as a tourist, but as, as a person who genuinely wanted to learn about those environments. And it was, it was a very liberating experience. And to this day, it was one of the coolest things that I ever did. And I don't regret a second of it, but there's a part of me that wondered why I never really got back into coffee when I returned. Um, and I think part of that was because my only real option was to go into a large company like Pete's or Starbucks or something like that. Um, and I didn't really want to do that. So this independent coffee shop that I'm working with now, there's there's a sense of, of of fun that comes along from working with an independent group of entrepreneurs who just happen to be really interested in something that I loved for the better part of a decade. It's been a considerable amount of time. Would you say that some of the reason that it's easier for you to get back in in the manner with which you're getting back in is because of the changes that have happened in the world? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and the changes in the world are both internal and external. It's not just the, the, the world, but it's myself too as well. I had to be, I had to be ready to come back. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've gone through a few of those phases in my life, like with photography, for example. Um, if you ask anyone who knows me pretty well, um, one of the, the defining features about me as a person is that I almost always have my camera with me. Um, but that wasn't true for about five years. Um, there was a, a big chunk of time there where I didn't take any pictures at all. And I, the reason why was because I needed a break from it. And, and more importantly, I needed a break from that version of myself. Um, 
and I needed to to kind of get some perspective. And I think I did the same thing with coffee as well. You know, I, the, I, inadvertently, I took a break from something um, when I needed it without really knowing it. And I think now, because of my my older age and because of my newer mentality towards a lot of the things that I want to do, um, it just felt like a natural fit again. So I pursued it. And it's it's odd how 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 quickly one can really step back into something that they love without much in the way of downtime or reacquaintance. Uh, just because if you cared about it enough at some point in your life, it just becomes part of who you are. And I think I'm stepping back into that. Going back just for a second, guys, like I said, this is a bonus episode. We're going to go some different directions here. And this may not seem like it's related to our topic, but it very much is. And our talk, topic being creativity, it's related in in two ways. Number one, almost everything I'm saying about the world of coffee can be applied to art or to business or to anything else. I mean, it is a business, but you haven't drawn for a long time, getting back in. So keep those things in mind while you're listening to this conversation. And also keep in mind that uh, what's at the heart of what Lamb is saying here is he had a problem in his life. Um, is a sticking point that, that that's going to come up a little bit later. It might be my word of the day or words of the day. But he has sticking point, and he was having trouble getting out of that uh, rut or that hole or whatever. And what ended up getting him out was creativity, but not creativity in the way that we normally use the word. There's creativity about how we look at our lives and how we deal with the circumstances of our life. Do you, do you think I'm I'm on what you're saying, or am I going in a different direction from what you're saying? No, totally. Actually, I was gonna I was gonna echo that sentiment um, in a much more tangible way when it comes to the coffee world as well. Um, you know, I wasn't just some random coffee owner or some random barista. Um, you know, I was very proud of 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 what I accomplished with the coffee shop. You know, and we we weren't just a a, a sell you a cup of joe kind of place. You know, we were kind of a boutiquey coffee shop. You know, I made special flavors and recipes and did some crazy stuff with coffee that that few coffee shops I've ever seen have even done. I think that that was one of my creative outlets from a very early age. I, I've always liked to cook. Um, and my, you know, my mom was big into cooking and she taught me a lot of what she, she knew. So I, I really enjoyed the, 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 the process of, of creating something brand new. And I also liked the, 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 the ability to craft something for somebody that was very specific to them. Um, like back when I owned the coffee shop, um, I used to have customers who would come in and I would, my simple question would to them would be, you know, how do you feel today? You know, what, what, what are you thinking of today? What place in the world are you thinking of? And then, um, I would basically, I would craft a cup of coffee, um, based on what they told me in response. For example, I, I had a one particular customer who used to come in. She used to get something different every single week. Um, and, you know, one time she came in and she said that she wanted something that reminded her of um, Florence. Uh, <laughs> and it was it was tough because we had, you know, I didn't know much about this was before I had gone to Florence. Um, and so I had to figure it out with her. You know, she wanted something that had a hint of olives in it, um, a little bit of orange flavor, but a little bit of salty air too as well. So I had to construct a mocha um, that had a flex of, of, of orange peel in it. Um, that were scorched on the way in, so I had to use a blowtorch to do it. And then I had to infuse um, a little bit of a, a pinch of olives in the espresso itself. And it turned out to be one of the coolest drinks I ever made. So it's it kind of incorporates a lot of the things that I've always 
I, I've always valued in life and about the world. You know, I, I got to make something for someone that was very specific to them. I got to find a connection with them that was very unique. Um, and then we got to share an experience, me in the, the process of crafting it and her in the process of drinking it. Um, we got to share it together in a very special way. And that was, I know it's just over a cup of coffee, but it's amazing what you can do if you put enough care into anything. First of all, that sounds like an amazing cup of coffee. Let me just say that before I go any further. <laughs> That reminds me of, and this is, I hate when this happens, but it's going to happen probably more this episode than any other episode since we came in unprepared. But that reminds me, there's an episode of one of, uh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Anthony Bourdain. Jeez. Mm, yeah. One of Anthony Bourdain's shows, like I was going to say which show, but now I'm not even positive which show. But one of his shows, he went to this uh, restaurant. I'm going to, before I continue, I am going to do my darndest to look up after this episode is over and see if i can find what episode this is for you guys okay if not i'm sorry it's it's kind of mean to mention something that i can't direct you to but there's an episode where he goes to this restaurant and i believe it's in france uh, either the south of france or an island or something and it's just this little tiny place but it's considered one of the best restaurants in the world and it's this little tiny place in kind of the middle of nowhere and they've got this garden outside and just the things that they were doing with the food, like just these little, I, 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 I haven't seen this for years, so I'm not going to be able to give you specific examples and I'm not um, a chef, so I don't have the, all the details, but just these little things that they were doing, these magical things that you've never heard done in a restaurant before. And that's when I started realizing that something I had never realized before, but the culinary world is an art world as well um if not in some ways it's 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 an equal to painting and to music and all these other arts that we talk about and actually now that i mentioned that at some point we should do a chef on this show oh agreed absolutely i have the perfect person too um one of the people that i'm working with now she's a chocolatier if that's actually even a word um and the things that they do with chocolate are absolutely remarkable what's what's amazing about uh, what we're talking about here for me is we're talking about coffee. We're talking about chocolate. You know, food's a bigger topic, but you know, those are very specific things. They're very specific items. And you would think that when you, for the average person, you would look at those things and go, there's not really much play there. You know what I mean? There's not much that you could uh, get creative with. And uh, what we're hearing right now from Lamb is that that's not true. It's it's completely possible. Uh, not only not only is it possible, but I'll get into this a little bit more as we talk in more detail. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I didn't really have anything more than that. I'm just going to say it's it's small things, and we we can sometimes uh, do that to ourselves in in the sense of like, hey, you know, like maybe you're a mom, um, and all you have time to do is knit, and that's more of a busy work, but you don't really feel like there's room for creativity in that. And I think this is kind of testament to the fact that that's not true. Yeah, and I don't think it's true for anything. Um, you know, back back when I started working at the coffee shop, like one of the the things I've always been, I've always had trouble with convention. Uh, I don't really like convention. Kind of bothers me when people tell me that a certain thing should be done a certain way. I've never really believed that that's inherently true. Um, for me as a person, I, I think I've always been under the or operated under the philosophy that if there's a better way, you should try and find it. Um, and that's where creativity really comes from. Um, you know, the, it, just finding a better way to do something. And so with coffee, you know, I, 
I would go into it and make challenges for myself. Like I used to, I had this, this secret menu that actually ended up just becoming the actual menu, um, where I would challenge myself to create certain drinks a week. Um, like, you know, I, I was pretty nerdy and I really liked, um, Star Trek, not to assume that all Trekkies are nerds, but, um, you know, um, if it's got fur and, or if it's got feathers and a bill, it's probably a duck. So let's just call it what it is. Um, I used to come up with drinks, you know, for like Romulan ale or like, you know, some kind of Klingon drink or something like that. And I used to, like, I had this one drink in particular. Um, I made these things called shooters, um, where it was a single espresso shot with whatever combination of things that ended up tasting like that particular flavor. So I would take creme de menthe. I would take an espresso shot. I would take, um, cacao, um, and a little bit of, of froth from, um, a standard, um, you know, foaming of milk and I would create this layered drink where flavor your your taste buds at different points in time and so it would almost be like a narrative journey of taste um, that would end at a very specific point and I know that sounds crazy to even think that someone would put that much thought into something as simple as an espresso shot but it just it just goes to illustrate one very important thing which is if you want to be creative with anything with anything anything in the world you can choose to do that if you care enough about it and you care enough to produce something and i think that one of the reasons why it was so liberating for me was because i could go to sleep every single night and create a challenge for myself for the following day and then i got to go into my workshop which in this case case was a coffee shop and i had all of my tools all of my ingredients, and I would pick up whatever other ingredients that I would need to make something special. And I had the satisfaction of knowing that that particular day, at that particular time, I could make something that no one else had ever made in a way that no one else had ever done it. And it's pretty pretty cool to have that feeling. Can you guys hear hear that in his voice? <laughs> the way he talked about that there? Do you hear that fire, that passion? That that, that That's the thing that you've been missing for so for so long that we've had conversations it's not even recorded conversations just conversations it's been a while since i've heard you talk about something so passionately and so <laughs> so inspired um i'm excited for you and also i wanted to say by the way uh i i didn't mean the knitting thing to just be directed towards women uh men knit too uh, the reason i thought of knitting by the way is uh, i think you guys should just go on to etsy and look up knitting you're going to see some mind-blowing stuff that people make just knitting. I, I used to know how to knit when I was a kid, actually. Trivia fact. Um, I think the, the one of the big pullaways from a lot with, of a lot of what you said there that is going to be really useful to the people listening is, so you're wondering maybe, how do you do that? How do you feel like that about something? Well, one of the big words that Lamb used multiple times there was challenge. Mm-hmm. We like to think that the things that we want to do and the things that... Uh, the things we love are easy, and that's why we love them, but that's not true. The th- things that we love, the things that really feed us, are challenging. They're, they're difficult. And it's our passion that feeds the ability to overcome those challenges. Um, this, is, this goes back to a lot of my theory about the difference between, quote-unquote, uh, savants, or, or um, what else do they call them? Lamb, help me here. What do they call like the kids who can play instruments? Virtuosos. Virtuosos, prodigies. Yeah. yeah. All of these words. You know, a lot of people refer to this as, as natural inborn talent. And I don't, I, I've never agreed with that. And I'm not saying that uh, it is an extraordinary, and I mean that in the term of extra ordinary, that a child can play 
uh, concerto at the age of, of, of you know, 10, um, write their own at that age, right? But I think that what you're seeing there is is an embodiment of this whole concept here, where it's, they have the same gifts that we all have, but for some reason there's a passion. They've They've developed a passion that when most people or most children would approach something and it's difficult, and this goes for adults as well, most people back off when we hit that level of difficulty. But when you have this passion, instead of that difficulty being seen as an obstacle, it's seen as a challenge, as to something you want to conquer. And, and that's how you become a virtuoso, a prodigy, is because you're driven to just continually. And you, if you look at the stories of, of these children who um, you know, can play the piano like this and stuff, they're, they're practicing all the time. And it's not you know this strict uh, discipline. It's they're practicing because it's fun and they want to do it. And they're, they're living in that little world of piano. And uh, that's that's a, an important distinction when we're talking about creativity is understanding how to foster that mindset. I think part of that too. One of the things that that really brings me back to certain things that I've loved throughout my life, um, and actually more importantly, um, the reason why I stopped them um, is because you know from, from maybe it's a, a, a genetic thing, um, maybe it's evolutionary or, or cultural, whatever it may be. The brain likes to be challenged. The brain does not like to be bored. And you'll find that most people who are absolutely miserable are typically the ones that are in the most bored. Um, and I feel like that, that there's there's no place in, in, there's no example more clear of that than what my life has looked like over the last, you know, year and a half versus what it's looked like over the last 48 hours. Um, you know, realizing that you, you, you love something once and, and going back and, and revisiting it is, 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 is opening for many reasons, not just because of the thing itself, you know, not because I have some kind of weird inherent love for coffee, which I do. And that's different. You know, if you're passionate about something, then it's really easy to be interested in it. But I think part of the reason why there's so much vigor, um, you know, there's so much fire in me when it comes to, to doing this is because I have a certain level of skill. And that gives me the ability to create progressively more difficult challenges. So my my brain is never bored. You know, in the in the in the clearer analysis of why it is that I hate my current job, for example, um, I, I feel bad for even saying that because it's it's my fault and I know it. But part of the reason why I, I dislike my current job is because it's so predictable. Is because there's absolutely nothing difficult about it for me, and the challenges aren't really there. At least not challenges that are 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 fulfilling to me. You know, like trying to figure out how to do a schedule for for employees is is mind numbing and as hard as that can be it's not it's not difficult in the way that challenges your brain to do something special or unique and i think you know one of the 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 the, the precursors to to passion one of the the catalysts for for that level of of enthusiasm that you're talking about is making sure that the challenges are forward moving that the challenges represent progress and not just challenges in order to maintain something that's a strange dichotomy of the human mind that Exactly what you're saying that our, our our mind is driven to be challenged, but at the same exact time, when we reach that wall, our mind is also driven to laziness, uh, driven to fear, driven to steer away from difficulty. Uh, we have this idea that oh this this is going to be hard. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to conquer this. So so we give up on those kind of things. All of us do it. Um, I've done it multiple 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 times. Being able to get over that and understand the places where you need to get over it. And also, it's important to understand the places to let go of things. 
you know, you don't have to be able to do everything. Just find a few things, you know, like like what you're saying. Like, oh, coffee end up. It turns out that coffee is one of your things. You know, you didn't maybe you didn't even realize that, you know, you liked it before. But until you went back, you didn't realize, hey, this is one of my things. This is one of the things that drives me that I love. Sure. And I think something that that, you know, it, it it's something that I think we talk about to a certain extent, but I think not without a, a certain level of clarity. And I think we should really mention it here um, is that in order to make it so that you don't get to that frustrating point in order for you to not get to that that point where you throw up your hands because something becomes too difficult. It's really important to set up your challenges in such a way that it allows you um, to have a bunch of small victories that lead to bigger victories. Um, you know, and I think, I think that very few people appreciate that for, for what it is. Um, you know, having a, a long-term goal or having some grandiose goal is fantastic. But if you just tell yourself tomorrow morning, Hey, I'm going to just wait, I'm, I'm going to make $10 million over the next year. Um, that is a giant lofty and nearly impossible sounding goal. But what you can do for yourself is give yourself a, a way to, to, to conquer small victories every single day. And I think success, as as with anything else, like and at success I equate in this particular sense to passion, um, I think passion builds with momentum. And and momentum is something that you, you have to be conscious of. You have to make the choice to do that. So if you need small victories, which everybody does, in order to become successful or passionate towards a certain thing, then you have to understand that about success. You have to understand that about passion. <coughs> And you have to set up the tools or the situation or circumstance that allows you to have a lot of small victories that lead to bigger ones. Imagine for a moment the, me and my novel. Now, if the only goal I paid attention to was the novel being done, you guys really think I would ever make it there? That's a huge, huge goal line. It's so far down the road, especially the type of book that I'm writing that's taken multiple years. It's so far down that I can't even see the finish line. I have to imagine the finish line. But in order to do that, I really like uh, my book is it's divided into three sections. So there's a subdivision for me right there. It's like, oh, here's a goal. Finish section one. Then the next goal is finish section two. And then within those, you know, there's finish this chapter, finish this chapter. And then within those are uh, all these writing programs like Ulysses and Scrivener. They have daily writing goals put in. You know, we tell yourself, I'm going to do 500 words today or 5,000 words today. And that's all to achieve exactly what Lamb's talking about, because momentum is everything. And that's why when when you get knocked off your horse, you know, when, when you're going along and you get knocked off and you lose your momentum, it's so hard to get started. Ugh. And I think that for the average listener... Um, maybe not of our show, but just the average listener out there in podcast world. Uh, there's a considerable amount of you that are in middle age. You've worked, you've married, you've had kids. And this idea of passion and some of the stuff that we're talking about, it seems so far away and so long off. And and it's, it's, it seems there's all these obstacles in your way and all this difficulty. But really, all of that is, is that you don't have any momentum. So getting started feels difficult. So you see all those obstacles. You see all of those problems. But all you really need is to start building momentum. Start in the first gear on the bike. You know, you don't go up to the fast gear because you're going to fall 
because it's not enough to keep the bike balanced. And and a lot of people don't realize too. I mean, if you think about it from from a a a, a life uh, a life uh, I don't even know how to define that. But let's let's put it a different way. Uh, midlife crises happen because your body realizes that, because your brain realizes that, because your your overall psyche needs that challenge again, or needs to be reminded of what it was like to be young and and impulsive and reckless. And I'm not saying be young, impulsive, or reckless, but I'm saying that what that all really comes down to is that at some point in your life, you did what you wanted to do versus what you had to do, and those two things were not necessarily the same thing. And I think that people have midlife crises because they want to have that feeling of, of, of freedom to, to make magic again. And I think that, that the, the, the misconception is that you can only have one or the other. Um, but I think that it's definitely possible to incorporate both if you know how to, you know, because obviously as you get older, you're supposed to gain some wisdom about these things. And for some people that's true and for some it's not. Um, but for those, for which it's true, there is definitely a way to incorporate this passion into your life without blowing up your entire life. <laughs> a lot of people have been sold. This goes back to our last episode. A lot of people have been sold that everything lie, everything that will satisfy you lies in safety and comfort. And last episode, we said safety is an illusion. You're never safe. You just believe that you're safe. So what we need is bravery. And what we also need is is compulsion and passion and impulse, all of these things. And those are the things that seem hard to just, oh, oh, sure, impulse. Sure, just be passionate. I can just decide to do that tomorrow. Well, guess what? You can. Because you can fake it till you make it. Absolutely. Honestly, that it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but it's not, it's not analyzed enough. Fake it till you make it. We go, yeah, yeah, fake it till you make it. Uh, if you really think about it, almost everything you do, you're faking it until you make it. You get a job, you don't know how to do it. What are you doing? You're faking that you know how to do that job until you actually know how to know, do that job. Everything in life is fake it till you make it because fake it till you make it is called learning. It's the same exact thing. We just use different terms. And you know, it, one of the things that you've said in the, the over the last few episodes, one of the things that you've said that stood out to me most is... You get to decide what your story is. You know, you get to, you know, it's from the Cheryl Strayed quote that you had, which is you're, you, you get to write the story and you get to decide who you are in that story. Are you the villain? Are you the hero? Are you the artist? All of those things are defined by your choices and what you end up wanting to do in order to, it, it just comes down to, to, to creating and crafting that narrative in the way that you need in order to become the person that you want. And that's, that's what faking it till you make it means to me. Um, it means that I get to decide tomorrow when I wake up that I'm going to be one of the best coffee connoisseurs in the world. I, I'm going to be a, a, a craftsman at, at, in the art of making coffee. And I get to decide what steps I need to take between now and that endpoint in order to achieve that goal. But that requires me to make that choice to define the narrative and then start to take steps in order to create that narrative. And here's the crazy thing when it comes to creating your own story. That also means that you create what success means. And you create what, this thing that you're striving to be. You create what the image of that is as well. And that's the thing. Those two are the things that we forget the most. We end up measuring our success and we end up measuring uh, our blueprints against uh, ones that are out there already in the world. 
or that we think are already out there in the world. But th there's no rule. There's no universal law that says that that's uh, how you measure success and how you decide what the thing you want to be is, is determined to be. You decide those things. And, and, and that alone should give you a little bit of momentum to start. If you can really believe that and understand that that is the truth. You know, some people define being a successful chef as having restaurants across the world. Other people are happy to have a small little cafe where they get to cook the exact food they want to cook every day. They define that. And for some, it's, and for some people, it's just making a meal that their family absolutely can't have enough of. Exactly. And those are all their decisions. And the, the, the difference is not, I mean, there's difference in all of those. There's no similarity in any of those successes. The, the similarity comes in the fact that all of those people decided to believe where their level of success was. And that's, that's, that's a powerful tool. In, in a way, if you were to take this part of the episode, and this is the tool and the technique, this is the most important thing that you can take into your life, into your creative life, and into your life in general, is make those parameters yourself. Yeah, because I mean, the, the tough thing is that, uh, and we talk about this quite a bit, which is, you know, we define our success by factors that are rarely our own. You know, we, we think of getting a degree or getting a certain type of job or having, you know, the house with three bedrooms and two kids and a dog. Um, you know, we, we, we define our success by these societal, these societally created milestones that have defined what most of culture and society have been. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of that. Um, I'm not saying that there's, that, that there isn't some, some sense of accomplishment when you do reach certain milestones that you do, you define for yourself. Maybe you just really want to have kids and you want to raise good kids. That's an ad, nothing wrong. And there's nothing wrong. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, you know, but make sure it's yours and make sure that you define that goal and not someone else. Um, and I think that, 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 Doing that and having having the honesty and 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 the, the the fearlessness to really craft those goals without a preconceived notion about what your life is supposed to look like is really important to defining, creating, and sustaining happiness for for everybody on this planet. You know, you cannot be happy unless you define what happiness is to you. You cannot be successful unless you define what success is to you. And I think that that. You know, in, in fits and waves, I've tried to do that throughout the course of my life. But every single day, I, I you know, I wake up and I still struggle with that. Um, you know, I think to myself, you know, at my age, I still don't have kids, for example. You know, and I I want to to, to make sure that I, I keep myself true to what my sense of success is and my definition of success is. But there are times where I even struggle with that. But whenever I do, um, I kind of take a moment or a couple of hours or a day and I go and I have a talk with myself. You know, I, I, I tell myself, I ask myself those questions. So what is it that you really want? You know, what is it that you, you really, you really want to achieve and what is it, what kind of effect do you want to have on the world and what, what things can you do in order to, to, to reach those milestones? And I think that everyone's got to do that every once in a while. You know, um, if you're really unhappy, you may have to do it more often, um, just to remind yourself of, of what path you should be on. But I definitely think that, that if you don't do that to your, with yourself, if you don't have that, that conversation with yourself, you're doing your, your life and your, your personal happiness a huge disservice. And what you look for, always, always what you look for is exactly what you're going to find, no matter what you choose to look for. Uh, 
no matter what you choose to believe, you're always going to find evidence that proves that you're right. Whether you believe that uh, aliens are visiting uh, New Mexico and and chewing up cattle and leaving their corpses behind, <laughs> you're going to find evidence that, that supports that. And if you don't believe that, you're going to find evidence that that's insane. Holy crap, Chad. That's, that's weirdly specific. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of UFO things. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. Not to say whether I believe one way or another. Now that that's too ominous, I guess I should just say, I believe there's extraterrestrial life in the universe. I'm not positive whether it's come to Earth. There we go. There we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> I hate leaving people <laughs> with these cliffhangers. I think about that when I listen to other podcast episodes and people are like, well, our political beliefs are different. And I know everybody listening to it's going, but what are your political beliefs? Sure. You know, but my point is here is, so if you decide that you are an awful chef, Every time you mess up, those are going to be the things that you remember. You're going to pay attention to the mess ups and you're going to continually be collecting evidence. See, I told you, I told you, you know, that's what you're saying to yourself inside. I told you so. I'm going to steal something from Tony Robbins here. Hopefully he doesn't mind. This is a little exercise that he does that uh, it proves this point. So I want you guys to do this. It's only about uh, 20 seconds, but. Look around where you are, wherever you are. Look around. Lamb, do this as well. Everybody, look around the room where you are, and I want you to find, uh, just pay attention to everything that's green. Everything in this room or outside or wherever you are, everything that's green. Mark everything that's green in your mind. You know, I, I see a green bag there. I see a green book there. I see a green book there. Another green bag there. There's a green shoe. Start cataloging those things in your mind. Just keep doing that. Keep looking around. Green. Everything green. Everything green. Now close your eyes. If your eyes are closed, now what I want you to do is remember everything in the room that was red. Huh. Can you remember very many red things? None. Now look around the room. How many red things do you actually see? Oh, giant things. Yeah, oh yeah. And that's the way the brain works, and that's the way that, that we, we treat these things, you know? So we see something, and what we're doing is, you know... If if being a bad chef is green, all we're doing is looking around going green, 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 bad chef, bad chef, bad chef, bad chef, bad chef, bad chef. But we're missing all the red. And the red might be, I could be great at this. I could learn how to do this. I'm really good at this part of it. I have a great sense of smell. I can taste cinnamon in almost anything. All these are things you're missing because you're looking at the green. Start paying attention to the red. And that's going to that's gonna change everything for you because that's the story. That's an interesting way to look at it because I think, you know, in, during the good points in our lives, during the, the, the points in which we're at our best, we, we kind of subconsciously do that. Um, you know, I think like at my best when I'm, when I'm happy and accomplishing things, I'm thinking about the things that I do really well versus the things that I don't do well. Um, wow, that's cool. I've, I've never really looked at it that way. I mean, I guess I've seen smaller examples of that. Um, and other things that I've done, like with, with golf, for example, um, one of the defining pieces of wisdom that make you a better golfer is never think about what it is that you don't want to do. Just think about the things that you do want to do. So for example, if there's water along the left side of a certain hole or something like that, what a lot of people do is they say, don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. And that's the story that then creates itself in your mind. And what's, what happens more likely than not, they end up hitting it right in the water. <laughs> What's hilarious about that is 
that part that you just said right there, and I know you don't know this, that is literally the direction that Tony Robbins goes right after he does the ex- exercise that I just talked about. Oh, man, are you serious? Wow. Yeah. Tony, Tony, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> well, what's incredible about this thought process is, number one, uh, he's not going to be upset if he hears this because he didn't create this stuff. He read it from somebody sure. else. He learned it from someone else. He didn't invent these things. When you look even just, okay, just look at the world of politics right now. Uh, or the world of uh, socioeconomics and all of these things in the world right now. Why does this group hate this group? And why can't this group talk to this group? It's because when the red state people talk to the blue state people in the United States, all the red state people here are things that reinforce their red state beliefs. And all the blue state people here are things that reinforce their blue state beliefs. That's all they're looking for. They're closed-minded. Even people who call themselves open-minded are closed-minded because they're closed-minded uh, to the other people. Because they're, and, and that's natural. That's this is a natural thing. This is this is built into us for survival, right? This is how we keep uh, our tribe safe. We see our tribe this way, and we close in our ideologies around the tribe. Uh, but, but we don't live in a tribal society anymore. And this is uh, some of the the sticking points. Going back to that phrase again, this is some of the sticking points that we find in our life is that we're compelled to live this um, tribal, um, almost xenophobia of ideas, where we live in the term that they've been using in politics this year is echo chamber. You know, we live in these, we live in these little bubbles. And this goes to our creativity, this goes to our beliefs about ourselves, all these things. We live inside these little domes. But we don't need to because we don't live in a society that requires that type of mindset. So we have to learn to train ourselves to get out of this. And the first step of that is by seeing, hey, start to look for the bubble. Notice where the bubble is. Yeah, and and a lot of the time the bubble is in places that you either don't want it to be or don't expect it to be. Um, For example, um, there are certain friends that you have that are definitely more on the destructive side. Um, There are definitely certain family members that are more negative. There are certain places or environments that... Are, are definitely more inherently negative than positive. And sometimes you have to make the, the, the hard choice and, and choose to either remove or limit because they, the, the, you know, it, it's gonna, it's gonna create or, 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 or be catalytic to a certain type of, 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 of emotional state or, or either a lack of progress or a, a mood that defines negativity or sadness. So that's something that you got to recognize too. You know, just because you've been friends with someone for 20 years doesn't mean that they're, they're good for you now. And that doesn't mean that you should abandon your friends who are negative. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely very big on, on understanding the nature of the relationships I'm, that I'm in and what kind of effect that they have on my life. Well, that's why when you see people go into recovery, uh, drug recovery, alcohol recovery, sex addiction recovery, they're not really supposed to hang out with other people that are still abusing drugs or uh, drinking um, heavily, abusing alcohol is a better way to say it, or um, living an addictive sexual lifestyle. They're, they're not supposed to hang around those people. They can hang around alcoholics if they're an alcoholic, as long as that person is also sober. And it's not because you're supposed to just get rid of those people, that they're no good. It's because you're weak. You haven't learned how to be strong. You're you're still on, you know, those horses that that come out when they're these ponies when they're born and they have those wobbly legs or like Bambi. That's you in in any stage where you're trying to 
move into another stage. You're there. So people that bring negativity in your life, people that do these things, they make it harder for you to do something that's already difficult to do. So you have to step back from those things. It doesn't mean they're not uh, overcomable. Over, overcomable. That's not even a word. It doesn't mean that they can't be overcome, <laughs> these, uh, these, these mindsets. It just means you have to learn how to do it. And sometimes that requires um, removing things that make things more difficult. That's, it seems like there's an inherent contradiction in what we're saying, but there isn't an inherent contradiction because you're just trying to make things easy for the beginning. So it's when you're trying to be creative, what's the easiest thing you can do? You know, you're trying to learn to see that red in the world of green. You just hang around with people who talk about nothing but red. Yeah. You know, you want to be creative, hang around creative people. It's, it's, it's not because that's what you have to do. It's because it makes it easier to get started. Sure. And I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, it, for better or for worse, um, it's, it's about defining your relationships with certain people too. Like there are certain friends that I've had who, you know, just party all the time in their like their mid thirties and, and for a guy like me, or at least in, in my particular stage in life, I just don't want to be that person. I just don't want to do that anymore. Um, and so, I mean, I go back to, to one of our, our other, you know, favorite mentionables on this show, which is Tim Ferriss. And I think one of the, the morsels of wisdom that I pulled from um, him was, um, you know, success in life is defined by the number of awkward conversations you're willing to have. And sometimes you have to have some hard conversations with people you really care about. And this doesn't mean you care about them any less, but you have to make them aware of the fact that like, you know, hey, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I, I'm, I, I got to hang out with you less, you know, like until, until, because I just don't relate to you that way anymore. I don't want to drink three days out of the week, you know, or I don't want to wake up at noon every day, um, you know, or whatever it is hurting your particular chance at being successful or, or moving forward or evolving into a better version of yourself, you know, that it's very necessary to have that that difficult conversation. And that's true in almost every walk of life, you know, that that happens at work too, you know, if you feel like you're not uh, being promoted or recognized or or that your company doesn't doesn't do enough for you and you're doing a lot more for the company, then you have to be willing to take that step and tell them that. You have to be willing to take the step and acknowledge that about yourself, recognize that in yourself and making sure that the company also recognizes that as well. And if they don't, then you probably shouldn't be working there. Because otherwise, regardless of what it may do for you, whether it's financial security or just job security in general, um, if you're not in a general state of happiness, then the, the financial trade-off in the long run is not worth it because you're going to die sooner and unhappy. <laughs> and, a, and a great example of this having awkward conversations or difficult conversations, there's a book actually called Having Difficult Conversations that I want to read. Um, but a, a great example of that that's going to transition this maybe into some of the other stuff that I wanted to talk about in this episode was the conversation that you and I had last week where I felt like we were disorganized on the way that we were putting the show together. And I had avoided the conversation for a very long time because I are you okay with talking about this on the air? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, I, I avoided, I avoided bringing it up because number one, I, I was afraid of what the perception of me uh, saying that to you would be, you know, like I, I, I definitely didn't want to come at you and feel like I was blaming you, but instead I wanted to present a situation and say, how do we, you and I solve that? And it took me a while to wrap my head around um, the way to say that where it would be communicated that way so that you wouldn't feel you had to defend anything because I wasn't uh, attacking you in any way. And, and that was a very difficult thing because I think I was I had set this mindset up that um, no matter what I said, it was going to come across as antagonistic. But why? 
and and it that's an, an example of what Lamb's talking about here is is how long did did I let this um sit un- unresolved and feel that there was something uneven and that um him and I weren't communicating on the way that we put things together for the show on on an equal basis in an, in a way where I felt that we were communicating uh in a way that both of us understood and I sat on that forever and so instead I just felt this uneasiness about it forever instead of just having the conversation which was a pretty easy conversation I would say sure and I think that and I think that defines if the people in your life are the right people then they'll take it the right way and some of the the reason why we feel yeah, I I don't know how to best define this, but I think a lot of it is 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 how you feel towards not necessarily how that person's going to take it, but how you're going to feel about it. You know what I mean? Um, the the frustration or the anger or the resentment that you hold on to from the conversation or because of the conversation um, makes you afraid to have it. Like I mean, when you told me the the first thing I said was, "You're absolutely right. Um, I have not been as clear enough or or as as as." present enough as I should be in order to make the show more successful. And I, I once you told me, I, I, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Um, but you kind of inspired me to do this whole coffee thing, by the way. There's a part of the reason why I feel like I was I was I was stuck in such a weird place when it came to, to everything professionally in my life was because I was unchallenged. I was bored. I was I was resentful of, of my environments and and so that that trickled into what we did with the podcast. And Despite this being one of the happier things in my life, it was still one day out of a, a, a one day out of the week where the other six days were just horrifying challenges that I didn't want to face um, um, anymore. Um, at least not that same style of challenge. So yeah, I mean, the moment you said it to me, I wasn't I wasn't defensive. I wasn't I wasn't angry or resentful. I was understanding and empathetic. If I were in your situation, I would feel the same way. So I think that's that's a very good lesson for everyone who's out there too. And I'm not saying every conversation you have that's difficult is going to go that smoothly. In fact, most of them probably aren't, but it doesn't change the fact that they're absolutely necessary. <laughs> well, and what's important too, and this is not uh, to toot my horn in any way, because I don't think I need uh, a tooting of my horn, but you don't know what the consequences of that conversation will be. Um, in this circumstance, you said in some strange way, this uh, led you to the coffee thing. Well, that's in in some way you could look at that as me holding off on that conversation, um, which spurred your your own thought process. In some way, I was depriving you of uh, what I should be con- uh, conveying to you as a friend, which is, uh, you know, sometimes our job with our friends is to point out things and not in a, uh, I think you should be this way or this way. but Hey, by the way, I want you to know that when this happens, I feel this way. Is that the way it is? And and that's a, an, another very important thing about how I approach this conversation with Lamb. Is number one, I asked him questions. I didn't tell him how things were. I said, "This is what I'm thinking and feeling. Is that the way it is?" Because I don't think it is. I think I'm creating a story which opens it for him to give his interpretation instead of me already saying, "This is the way things are." And now you have to deal with the way that I believe things are. And and another thing, too, is I, I, I tried really hard to communicate why this was important to me. And not in the relation of me, but in the relation of what the circumstance is, which is Lamb and I as a partnership. Is I feel this way, 
I'm afraid that if I continue to feel this way, I will feel this way. And the effect that would have is this to you and this to me. And I don't want either of these things. So I am here to say this. And if I can help you do this in any way, I would love to be able to do that. And it, it's it's a very different way of having a conversation. And it's definitely something new for me. Um, I've, I've In my past, I've been very much a bulldozer. That's I, I think that's why you guys hear on the show a lot of me worrying about that I'm talking more than lamb. It's because that's the kind of person I used to be. You know, what's amazing about that is that this pretty much perfectly segues into what you wanted to, what I assume you wanted to talk to when we, you were you were talking about this episode, which is, I think we've probably figured out more in the past five days on what we need to do in order to organize this podcast than in any other time that we've ever done it in a year and a half. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, actually, I, we were, I was going to go into detail because I think that does, you know, we're talking about podcasts, but uh, this is just about organizing. You know, first we went with the mental organization. That's why I'm saying there's like this synchronicity between your topic and my topic, <laughs> the mental organization. And now actually using things to organize. And what I wanted to talk about with you guys in this part was just some of the stuff that we've we've tried to organize with and how that worked out and what we eventually did. And then I have some suggestions to help you guys figure out how to organize things a little bit better for you in your life, your creative life in anything. So here we go. What happens in the back end of this? And then lamb you jump in. I'm going to ask you questions too, to make sure that you're part of this conversation, but jump in at any time that you feel you need to. So what we started with the, on the back end with this, you know, we need Lamb and I need to be able to communicate to each other. We need to uh, be able to schedule things together. Uh, before we started doing this weekly, where we had a set time, there was a period of time where we were doing a different time and a different day every time, and that was Ugh. chaos. Yeah. <laughs> that was just awful. A lot of the communication that we we've done until recently has just been through text message, through iMessage, and. A lot of us do that, and it, it gets sloppy. Number one, because you can't find things that you need to find. Your your personal and your whatever is not personal, you know, whether it's work or a creative endeavor like this for us, it gets intermingled with your personal stuff. So you can't find it, and then the conversations overlap, and you don't realize that because you're living in it. But once you step outside of it and you separate, okay, work goes through this, personal here, it starts to feel a little bit clearer. Did you have you in, in the short time before we go into what we've used, but in the short time that we've switched away from talking about that stuff in text, have you felt that difference? Oh, definitely. I mean, I kind of felt that I, I felt exactly what you were talking about before we started doing this stuff, which is it was just a convoluted mess in our text messages. And sometimes there would be times where I'd have to roll back five, six, seven, 12 pages worth of text messages to find a certain link that you had shared with me or to find a certain. Um, you know, thing that you wanted to talk about in the podcast. And, you know, for everyone out there who, who, who is new to the show, um, we have four different formats and trying to keep, and, and a lot of the planning for the formats overlap with each other. And so because of that, if you can't find some space to keep it all straight, it literally just becomes a giant mess. And then trying to, to, and if your, if your workspace is a mess, then, you know, obviously your brain's going to be a mess too. I mean, just, you know, for any of you out there, just take everything in all of your doors and or your all of the drawers in your desk and just dump it out on the desk and then try to find a pencil and see how long that takes you. And then after that, um, 
try to do something on that desk. You have to make room for it. You have to clear out um, enough space to be able to put down a piece of paper. Just try to try to do that, and and you get a sense of how you know going into um, this organizational process. We were just we we're trying to use the wrong tool or or the lack of of, of tools in order to achieve something that's pretty complicated on a week to week basis. And what also ends up happening too is you know sometimes some of these things are uh, time sensitive but not immediate. You know, like I need Lamb to send something to somebody next week. Well, if he doesn't put that somewhere else outside of that text message in the second that I send that to him, it's lost in that river, that pile that he's just talked about. And he's not even going to remember to go back and look at it because I've piled so many other text messages back and forth on top with him. Uh, So it's important to have things uh, not only separated, the conversation separated, but to have uh, the things that you're using, the tools that you're using separated as well for by purpose you know in our case we need a place for tasks and we need a place to share links and uh we need a place to schedule things and we need a place to talk and all of those have to be different places so they don't get messed up and what we started with and for a lot of people this works really well it did not i wouldn't say it did not work well for us but it wasn't the perfect tool that we needed it to be and what we started with is what most people start with now slack and slack is is great um this threaded conversation thing is brilliant but it takes a lot to wrap your head around it and uh, the best way i could explain this and i'm going to try to do this as briefly as possible but as clearly as possible a threaded conversation would be so you have uh think of your iMessage or your um android message or whatever that app's called on android your text messaging app, and Lamb and I are talking to each other. So it's just this one conversation. But imagine if every time that we talked about a specific thing, instead of everything being piled on top of each other, those things were grouped together, like the threading in an email. So I say, hey, Lamb, what do you think of this movie? And then everything that's a reply between the two of us about that movie is all grouped together. And then over here, the next text message I sent him, which is not about the movie, I said, oh, by the way, we should do this on Wednesday. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. And what we tend to do in our text message conversations is try to juggle between the two of those and hope that the person knows which text is a reply to which thread of conversation that we've dropped above. And it, we're most of us are pretty good at doing that. We're pretty good. It's a weird skill that we've all developed. But when you start throwing creativity and work and all of these other things that aren't personal things into those threads, that's where the real mess starts. And so Slack has this threading thing. And that once I wrapped my head around what that meant, that kind of changed the way that I started seeing things. What was your experience with the threading? I know it was confusing at first. Um, I think for me, it was just an interface issue. Um, I'm so used to reading top down um, and what some of the threading was in Slack was down bottom to up and that was really tough for me to follow at first um and i think part of the issue with me too and i, I think i i know you're probably going to segue into this into to what we're doing with todoist um but i also didn't like that we had two different tools to contend with so we were working we went back to trello for a little bit too to incorporate some of the the specific task stuff that we needed to do but there was also the the communication channels that we're using through slack um, in order to to 
keep the, the separate conversation threads um, different from the tasks themselves. And for me, at least the, the, the frustrating thing for me was having those in two different places. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that having to, I, you know, my feeling on that, the, the fewer apps I can use to do a particular thing, especially where we're literally bouncing back and forth, um, the happier I am as a person. Um, and so the fact that you, you had to, you were doing a lot of the integration stuff, which was fascinating, by the way, like you using, um, basically, um, God, what's the name of that app again? Uh, uh, workflow. Yeah. Workflow. Yeah, in order to in order to have automated tasks between these various apps, I mean that was really really cool, but it still didn't it it didn't remove that step. That's actually native. Really? That's native Slack integration. Yeah. Huh. Well, regardless, the the, the point is that the the least was understanding a different way of reading messages and using a separate app as a a complement to the threads themselves. And to explain some of that confusion a little bit further, think about it this way. Um. Lamb, for, for example, the interview we're going to do today, right? We have a card in Trello for the interviewee. And he's putting links on the back there so that I can learn about this person before we have them come in because, you know, that's how you look professional. Um, and we have a conversation about interviews going on on Slack. So when I have something to say, there is that time where you go... Okay, do I go over to the Slack channel and talk about it, or do I talk about it on the card? Because Trello has messaging built in as well. So this it's it's and it's what we're looking at. You know, we talk about before we've talked about the the jagged edge of technology that when things are new, there's a roughness there, and it's it's because everybody's Slack is hot and everybody's integrating with it and everybody wants it a piece. I just saw a an email app that's being put two different email apps for the desktop that are being put out that have Slack built into them. And that baffles me because Slack is supposed to eliminate email. <laughs> it's supposed to. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a little weird at this stage. So what we ended up doing currently, and, and there's actually a topic about what we're going to do in the future. What we're doing right now is we're using Todoist. And uh, we have what's, what's great about this separation too, is I only have the random badassery stuff in Todoist. All my personal stuff is in a different app. And I have those separated. Some people, that might not work for them as they want their tasks all in one place. It's up for you to figure that out. But there's messaging built into Todoist. And what's useful about this is if I say, for example, Lamp sends me a task and he says, um, can you change this typo on the show description for the last episode? And I have a question about what the typo is. Maybe I don't see the typo. Before, we would go back to text message. Now I just go onto that actual task, the specific task, and I say, which typo? And now he doesn't ask, have to ask me for context because I say, which typo? And it's attached to that task. And he goes, this is what he's talking about. Now I know what he means. And I can get an answer that's clear. And there's not this back and forth trying to figure it out. And what tr- what to do is also built in is so uh, you have separate lists, projects, and so forth. So we have I have things separated into the random badassery general topic. And then, uh, I mean, not topic, uh, project. And then underneath that is our interview episodes. And then under that is our study episodes. And under that is another one that I can't remember right now. All of those projects, not even the tasks, excuse me, all of those projects have messaging built into them too. 
So if we have a general question about interview episodes, we can talk in there because there might not be a specific task for us to reference. It's just about interviews in general. If we have a conversation, we want to talk about the show in general, we can do that in the random badassery general project. And this, this describing this verbally might be a little confusing. So uh, I'm hoping you guys are getting this. But what we plan to do is to do is in two weeks, approximately, is coming out with essentially a Slack competitor. And it's called Twist. And it works similar to Slack, except it's completely integrated with Todoist. And from what I understand, all the messages that happen in Todoist also show up in Twist. So it doesn't matter where you go because they're all going to the same place. Such a good idea. And uh, what also is interesting, there's um, I'm going to put the article in the show notes. And for those of you who are new, show notes are always attached right to these episodes. Uh, if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, the links aren't clickable for some reason. They don't offer that feature, I don't think. Uh, so you can always just go to uh, randombadassery.fireside.fm and all the links are always there. I don't mention that. I've never mentioned that before. But uh, the article, that it's, I think it's written by Amir, who is the CEO of right. Todoist. And it's it's about the idea of what he thinks for his um, particular use case with Todoist as a company, they, they, the problems that they had using Slack. And the problem with them for Slack was that Slack is a real-time collaboration tool. What that means is I send something now, I want a response now. Um, just like uh, even more immediate than text messaging. And the problem for them was is that their team is all around the world, so all the people are in different time zones. So what they tried to build with this, this twist, which, by the way, Lam and I have not even tried this, and we're not being paid to talk about this. Um, this is just what I've gathered from looking at the website and reading this article. What they tried to build is a an app where it's not time-sensitive, where conversations can continue over time, and people can contribute when they have an opportunity to contribute. And I'm not sure exactly how they do that. That's different than Slack. And that's really fascinating for me. What did you end up reading that whole article, Lamb? Yeah, I, 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 but I didn't. I also didn't quite understand how different it was from Slack either. Um, for me, it it feels like it's an interface thing almost primarily. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure what it is about the Slack interface that is difficult for me. But there's something about the way that it's set up which is 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 difficult for me to follow. Um, but the the to do it and and you know this this might be completely different for somebody else. There might be somebody out there that that really loves the interface for for Slack and and I think for me the biggest thing was that most things, even though they're supposed to be separated, all kind of ended up in the same place anyway. Um, even though they're threaded, they're only um, indented um, or tabbed um, in order to show the delineation, and that was tough for me to follow. Um, versus. Todoist where they're completely separated. So you could literally, it's its like opening up a file folder. And I think that's the, the easiest analogy for my brain. And I think that's where the real difference was for me. And from what I understand, the one thing that's very different from Twist to Slack, at least as far as this article, that um, that I definitely did see in in my issue with the Slack interface. And I think it's pretty much exactly what you said there. And it, it's attributed to the threading 
was added on afterwards. Uh, so Slack worked. Right. Slack was just a pile on like text messages before, which is why I used it before. And I, I'm like, why, why is this useful? It never, I never saw how it was different than text messaging um, other than the integrations. And I'm sure there's a bunch of Slack fans out there that are pounding um, their fists on their desks right now, listening to this, but Hey, it didn't work for me. And what I think one of the things that from what the few pictures I've seen of the twist thing is that the threads are separated and they're front facing the threads are, uh, they're not hidden away, like they kind of are in in Slack. Uh-huh. Uh, they're separated like text message conversations. So every thread is treated as a separate text message conversation, like a group text. And I think that's a I think that's an odd oversight with Slack too. Is that you know when I think about it from a business perspective. Um, what is obviously more important for me as a, a person who manages people and manages projects is the communication with my people and not necessarily the, the status of the project all the time. Like I only check the status of a progress when something needs to change. Slack doesn't prioritize between the two. Um, it kind of makes both of them have an equal level of importance. And for me, that's just really confusing. Yeah, I think that has to do with a lot to do with the culture that it was created in. Uh, mm-hmm. It was at the time which it was created, it was a focus on exactly what it is real-time collaboration you know getting responses now instead of having to deal with email and go through all the the rigmarole with email and that it was it was literally it was just created to be basically business instant messaging and everything else has been added on they've added features because they're you know they're trying to build a company that survives whereas uh todoist with twist they already have their business so they're just adding a separate app and this is something that they use internally. They've been building this since 2014. So I'm fascinated to see what this company has built in three years that they haven't shared with the world. The hilarious thing is I actually had an invite to the beta, I don't know, like six months or a year ago, and I just didn't have a need for it at the time. So I just oh, didn't, join. Chad. <laughs> I didn't join the beta. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have a team. We we hadn't figured this stuff out yet, you and I. Uh so anyways, there's some stuff on, on messaging. And obviously, uh, because we mentioned Todoist, you can gather the fact that we do our tasks through there. And and a lot of that stuff, what's great about Todoist is just being able to do things with a certain um, ease, natural language of, you know, I put this task in and I know that like the interview one, we, we only do it every four weeks. It's not every month on the same day. It's every four weeks. So I can put that thing in and say, this needs to happen, and it needs to happen four weeks after that, and four weeks after that. And then I can also say, and this other task, which is attached to that one, happens two days after that. So I'll schedule it two days after that, and then just tell it four weeks, four weeks, four weeks. So that task is always going to show up two days after the interview episode. Now, all these little things, I'm going to go into detail of why these little things that I'm mentioning right now are important. Um, but I want to go through some of the tools first. Do you guys have examples of this ideology that I'm going to offer to you guys as as help? Um, another thing that we we did, which I'm wondering we don't probably need anymore, is we had a shared calendar. But with Todoist, I don't know if we need the shared calendar anymore. Yeah, I kind of don't think we don't. We, I kind of think we don't, um, considering that we can put time-sensitive tasks and time-dependent tasks into um, Todoist and communicate about them in Todoist as well. 
it, I love that it's all in one place. I mean, that for me is the biggest selling point for, for me. I don't want four different apps, which is literally what we needed prior to Todoist um, or modifying Todoist to do all of this. Um, we needed four different apps to to do all of the things that we're describing. And that's just monumentally frustrating. And there are cases where, like, we've talked about this with Evernote before, where um, apps try to do so many things that it just becomes uh, oppressive to open it because you have to put so much thought into what you're about to do when you get into this app. That doesn't happen in the Todoist app because everything is, um, it's it everything works together the way that it should in the sense that, okay, this is attached to this, and that makes sense that that's there. And this is attached to this. This makes sense. It's not bloated. Let's put it that way. This seems like a better point to go into perhaps the ideology before I go into some of the other stuff because it seems too far off. But the the idea here is what I did is uh, I did this for myself personally, and then I did it for random badassery. And I sent this to Lamb, and I don't know if you were able to wrap your head around it, so you'll have to, to tell me if it was just a Chad thing. But I made a mind map. And uh, mind map in the, two different kinds of mind map. As far as the mind map for the random badassery was, okay, here's random badassery in the middle. On the left, here's Lamb. On the right, here's chat. Okay. What happens? What are the actions that need to happen here from each person? What are the subdivisions of those? How And then start organizing all of that. And then when I can see it all out, then I can go, okay, we need something that covers this area for both of us. So I'm looking as, you know, the, okay, we do these things together. What kind of tool can I find that will make us be able to do these things together? So now you know you need a tool for that. And then you look at this other thing and you go, okay, I do this alone. So whatever tool I find to do this, that's just for me. You know, like the, the audio editing. Lamb doesn't have to worry about or doesn't care about uh, or need to care about what, what I'm using to edit the episodes because it's, it's not part of the thing that he does. So I can figure that out. Okay, that tool is separate. But when you start to visualize these things, then you can start to realize what tools you need. And for for personal stuff, what I did is I created a flow of things that I create in my life. So without going super, excuse me, in depth, there are certain things that I have in my life. I have areas, I have photos. So I take photos. We all do that on our phones mostly, right? Writing, I do writing. I have emails. We all have emails, notes, files, video, and then my podcast. Those are the things that I'm creating, that I'm bringing into my sphere, things that I have to deal with. And in order to deal with those things, I have to figure out what the flow of those things are. So, for example, photos. Almost all the photos I take are on my phone. Okay. So I don't have to put a camera in there. I don't have to worry about what's happening there. I take photos of two different things. I take personal photos of things in my life, and I take photos of any time that I make art. Okay, now I have those branched off. Well, why am I doing this? Because what I do with those art photos is different than what I do with my personal photos. And I need to understand where those things go. So I know that the art... The photos of my art, I'm going to send two places. It's going to go to my archive, and then I'm going to send it to Pinterest because I, I don't bother with having an art website because I'm not a professional artist. So I just use Pinterest. And then I have my personal stuff, you know, your personal photos, whatever we all take on our cameras every day. 
And I know that there's one of three things going to happen to those. I'm going to save them in iPhoto, which happens automatically. So I'm not really doing anything there. And some of them I add to my day one journals if there's something specific. And then the rest get deleted. Those are three things. So, I mean, I know I'm describing a visual flowchart to people. So, Lam, I have to rely on you. Am I explaining this in a way that makes sense? Yeah, um, I think the reason it makes it, at least it makes sense to me, A, I'm a photographer, and B, I kind of know the brain, the way your brain works. Um, so for, for to benefit everyone that's out there, just think of it as separate funnels for different things where at each stage of the funnel, you kind of lose things that, or you get rid of things that aren't important enough or aren't um, what you wanted. Um, so yeah, no, it totally makes sense to me. The only thing that doesn't make sense is do you archive photos that you don't keep at all, or do you just straight up delete them? Just delete them. Yeah, if I'm not keeping them, they're just gone. Another way to think about this too, guys, is, you know, think about email. You know, there's, there's, you have funnels in your emails. All your emails come into your email account. And so you're opening up your email app and then there's the email that you have to reply to. So that's a funnel. And then there's the email that you're just going to delete because it's, it's, I don't need to read this anymore. And then there's the email that you're going to have to spam. And then there's the email that you might need to save. You know, maybe you're getting a tax document. You need to archive that. So it's just understanding everything that's coming in. This is why you're using the the visual flowchart. I'm a visual person. If you're not, maybe this won't work for you, but uh, I think it's still going to uh, because what you need to do with it in order to achieve what I'm going to tell you about, you kind of need a visual representation. And you just want to understand the stuff that's coming in and where it's going. And where you in, sometimes even that in that process, you're going to realize uh, a couple things. You're going to realize oh, I don't want that to go there. And that's end up, that's where it does go. You're going to see problems in your systems. And then you're also going to see maybe stumbling blocks. And this is this is two important things you're looking for in this. And one, you want to look at these and go uh, three, I guess. Back to the first thing. Make sure they're going where you want them to go. And so you have to understand the purpose of the things you're taking, which is easy because it's your stuff. I'm not asking you to organize my stuff. This is your stuff. So you know this stuff. You know all these things. And then you, you want to look at any stumbling block. And you want to look at any places that you need to change. So, for example, if I just uh, I look and I'm being honest, when you make this chart where things actually go, and you look at something and it goes three different places, but all those places serve the same purpose. So maybe you have files that you save from your email. Every time you get a file in your email... Well, sometimes I save it to Dropbox, sometimes I save it to Google Drive, sometimes I save it to my computer. If you don't have a reason that you're saving it in three separate places, what you're creating is a problem for yourself because when you go to find that file later, now you have to, well, let's see, is it on my computer? Nope. Hmm. Is it on my Dropbox? Nope. Oh, oh, here it is on my Google Drive. So you see where that's a problem, right? Does that make sense, Lim? Sure. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to look for places like that, and then you that's when you need to make a decision. Okay, which of these services is best suiting what I need it to, which of these places, whatever it is, the things that you're looking at. So in the in my file example case, maybe you trust Dropbox the most because, you know, you don't want to save on your computer because it's not backed up to the cloud, and maybe you don't like Google as much as you like Dropbox. Fine. So now you know every time a file comes in, you tell yourself, okay, this goes to Dropbox, and you forget about the other two places. Now, there are branches and stuff like that. There might be reasons that you need something on your computer as well. 
But the basic thing here is to understand where things are going, why they're going there, and make sure that's where you want it. And to try to consolidate as much as you can to make this simple. Uh, you want the whole purpose is, is is to remove as much thought from things that you shouldn't have to put mental energy into. Uh, you don't. You shouldn't have to look at a photo every time you take it and go, "What am I going to do with this photo?" You should just know. You're like, "I want to share this." Okay, I share photos on Instagram. Done. Do I save the photos I share on Instagram? Nope. Fine. Delete. You don't want to have to contemplate those things every time because that's a wasted mental energy. Do you think that overall you, you – because I, I can see this operating on, on a couple of different levels. Like I feel like part of what we're doing on a consistent basis is trying to figure out a way to create funnels like this for the show um, or the podcast in order to figure out where things go without having to f manually move everything with each time we add something. Yep. Um, so it kind of feels like that as well. Well, that's that's the last thing I would say that you're looking for here is you're looking for ways to automate as much of this stuff as you possibly can. Sure. Um, you know, whether it's using workflow or if this, then that or uh, Zapier or Zapier. Found out that's how it's pronounced mm -hmm. recently. Uh, you're finding ways that you can automate these things or to even cut out steps so that you you're trying to look at the actual mess that you're dealing with. Because we're all dealing with, I mean, mine looks like, it looks like the bottom of a tree. You know, it just, it's roots all over the place. And that's the cleaned up version. So you're, you're trying to clean this up. And what you're going to do is, is as you're looking through here, you go, okay, this thing, like, for example, uh, pictures of my art. I said, they go to an archive and they also go to my Pinterest. Now, what I'm going to, uh, what I need to ask myself there is I go, is there an app or an automation that can send the same picture to both of those places at the same time so that I don't have to do each individually. If I do, I cut my workload in half. Then what you're going to ask yourself now, is there something that makes it so that I can do that automatically? And it, sometimes the answer for these things is going to be no. You know, people haven't built these things. But every time you can find one of those, you're cutting out more and more and you're creating something very simple and the purpose of this is as uh, just like we've talked about before with organizing tasks and everything else the purpose of this is to remove needless energy wasting if if you don't have to think about these things then save that thought energy for things that do require thought and then you know like we talk a lot about uh people who feel like they don't have enough time and they don't have enough energy to create and to do things and to push forward and to create momentum and all the other things we're telling people to do on here. This is a place where you can start reclaiming some of that power just by getting rid of it. And it, it takes work to do this. It does. But hey, if it's going to pay off in the end, don't you think it's worth it? I do think that something that should be stated is that sure, it takes work, but um especially from how you and I have looked at it, you know, based on uh, the earlier part of this podcast too, where we had a conversation about communication and how you brought up the, the idea that um, I wasn't communicating very clearly. And I think part of it is because I hadn't done a, a very, it's not even a lot of work. It's just focused work. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that, that I, I would caution people on is when you start this endeavor, when you really start to think about um, like you create the, the, the flow that you need and then you start cutting steps out of that. You have to do that in 
kind of a closed environment. Like you have to really sit down and think about what it is that you want to do and how your brain wants to see it. And if it's at all, it like it should make immediate sense. And I think that's, that's, I didn't really understand that until I, I, until you sent me the, the setup that, that you wanted for Todoist. The moment I saw it, I knew it made sense. And I think that that's, that's underappreciated. Um, in the sense that a lot of people will try to make things fit. Um, and I, I really think it's important to not try to make things fit, but just to find the right tool. And sometimes that's a really difficult journey. Like, I mean, you and I are a good example of that. We've tried a lot of different tools. And sure, we're kind of new to Todoist, so there there might be a, a, a still a little bit of learning for us um, in order to make it work right. But um, that's the first tool that we've attempted to do this with, where I immediately just right off the bat thought, okay, that makes way more sense. I know that listening to things like this sometimes it can sound um nerdy or anal and uh what's the point in that and i don't have time for that it's because a lot of people and uh, myself included uh in the past what we're doing continually is we're playing catch up yeah where you're chasing after something picking up things that have fallen off of it you know it's like running after a truck where um binders are falling out of the back of the truck and you're running behind it trying to pick up all of the paper, all the binder paper that's just spilled out all over the road while still trying to keep up with the, with the truck. That's how most of us manage tasks and organize our lives. And it's because we, we don't want to do the work. We don't want to think about this weird, nerdy stuff. But if you can get this, what this does is it stops the stuff from falling off the truck. So not only do you not have to chase the truck, but you're not behind it anymore. And you're not having to pick up anything and risk losing anything. Now you're in the truck and the truck is moving. Yeah, you're essentially driving the truck now. Exactly. And and that's a huge difference because now I know, okay, say I stop making art or I decide I'm not going to take photos of my art anymore. Now I know I go in here and I can just cut that branch off. And it's that easy. I don't have to put any more thought into it. Now, say that say instead of an archive or Pinterest, um, I had a website attached to that where I was I had an art portfolio. I stopped doing art. I'm done with art. Well, I look on here and I see that website. And now I know I look at it. I go, oh, I need to cancel that website. Boom. Now I cancel the website. Now I can clip that. So it, it makes getting making making changes that quick and that easy instead of having to try to piece together what you're missing. And, and that's what a lot of us are doing. We're struggling to understand because we we're already on a normal basis when things are not stressful, our stress levels already high. Mm. So removing that gives you a blank slate to start with. And then you're in control. That's the whole point of this. It might be nerdy and I don't care because you know what? I used to be the most disorganized person. If you saw what my room used to look like it like, you know, the joke where people would say it looked like a hurricane hit the room. That was my room. I had to, the way you described dumping things on top of a desk earlier and having to look for a pencil. That was my room. I had drawers. I had a dresser of like, uh, I think it was six or nine drawers. And I had the top three drawers open all the time because there was stuff piled in them and I couldn't close them. And I mean piled like three times higher than the drawer was capable of holding. That was the mess I used to live in. 
I've never known you during that phase of your life because ever since I've known you, you've been one of the most organized people I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, that was like my 20s when I was uh, drinking a lot. I just, uh, so my focus was going out and I was never, that's why I was always out. So I was never home to organize, to clean, to look at things. And it took me moving into another room mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Gotcha. Wow. It's it's a weird thing to talk about this kind of stuff, especially on this kind of show, people would think. But if you can get your thoughts down to be able to tree tree off like this. Now think about when you when you enter into a creative project. If you already are if you already understand the way that your life functions, think about how easy it is to add another project. Because you'll be able to see where that project fits. You'll be able to see the tools that you need to get for that project. And you'll also understand the structure of how to organize that project so that you can go in and be like, I know that I need to do this, boom, boom, and you start branching it off, and you go, I need a task tool here, I need a, I need a service here for this, and then you're ready, and you can just jump right into that project instead of spending months and months in planning, which most of us do, but most of that quote-unquote planning before we do a creative project is avoiding. Sure. Because it's it's gnarly when we're not organized. It's gnarly to jump into something new because we're just adding to the mess. And that's frightening. Sure. And I think um, not had a sense of serenity about the organization for the podcast until um, your your recent drawer cleaning um, with how we've been communicating, too. Just because, you know, just thinking about it, like we, we've used Trello, we've used Slack, um, We've used workflow. We've we've used so many different tools at so many different times to try to make sense out of the the hurricane of information that we need to both um, produce the podcast as well as to share the podcast. Um, that it's always been really scary and overwhelming. So I feel like what you did over the last you know three or four days or week or whatever it was. Um, is kind of us moving rooms, you know, we kind of just had to abandon it all. Like, I mean, you went so far as a, you know, for anyone who, who, who's listening to this now, like, you know, we were talking about Slack last week and we were using Slack last week and Chad's already deleted it from his phone, despite how, how much we were using it. So he is <laughs> it, the, the, the one thing that I think that, that, that you didn't state um, about the mind map thing is how liberating it gets to, start chopping things off of that map um, and how much brain 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 power that allows you and how much room that gives you to to operate without having to think um, you know nearly as much and I think that that you know that's a really important thing to, to get across like the 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 less you the less time you spend thinking about the tools you use to organize the more time you think about you get to think about the things that you're actually doing and that's that's pretty liberating. And one of the most amazing things that even I didn't know going into it is what's going to happen is most likely you're going to discover things. Uh, you're going to see holes. You're going to see things that you should be doing that you weren't. That until you started branching off, you couldn't see. Like, for example, in our flow of all the things that we have to do to keep this show going, two things that I added, there might have been more, but two things I added that did not exist that I remember right now that all of a sudden it hit me. Why aren't we doing that? Was number one, following up with our interview guests two days after the episode comes out to make sure they have the link to share with all of their fans and friends and family. And then following up with them again a month later just to thank them for coming on and and spending their time with us. 
and those are two things we weren't doing. Well, interviews are new, but those are holes I saw. And I'm like, oh, that would make the experience so much better for those people. Mm-hmm. The the visualization helps a lot. And I mean, you don't have to use a fancy mind mapping um, app, although they're reasonably priced if you're buying on the iPad, $10. But you can just do this on paper. You can take out a pile of old post-its that you have that just don't have anything written on them and write something on each of the post-its and arrange them, do whatever you need to do. Take out your Lego men and assign them. <laughs> assign them duties. <laughs> assign them a significant fireman. He represents, you know, my files and, you know, whatever you need to do to do this. Um, but I think that what you're going to find when you do this is not only new things, like I just said, but you're going to find the holes you're going to find the problems. You're going to find the sticking points. And you're going to find the ways that you can improve things, that you can tighten things up. And the way you can take all this pressure off of yourself, the system should be working for you. You shouldn't be the system. And most of us are our systems. And that's the problem. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. You should, And it, this isn't about tools or tasks or anything like that. I mean, the tools or um, apps or anything like that, even though those are an important part of achieving some of this. This is about the system itself, the way that your stuff flows, and understanding what you do, what you create, what comes at you, and where it goes. You know, a good way to think of it, too, is if your organizational tool is something you dread opening, then you're probably using the wrong tool, or you're using that tool the wrong way. Um and I think that, you know, with, with Todoist, for example, now I'm excited to go into Todoist because it's formatted in such a way like that the interface just makes sense to my brain. And so I'm actually kind of excited to use it. And I know that sounds strange to be excited to use a productivity app, um, but I think that's a really important aspect of pro- productivity apps is that you have to understand it well enough to like it and you have to not be intimidated by it. And I think that's that's twofold. Number one, I spent enough time with Todoist both, Todoist both previously as well as in its current iteration with Chad um, to really be comfortable with it. So that the, the key for, for me, number one, was familiarity with the app. And number two, it has to work the way your brain likes to work. And I love the way Todoist categorizes things into separate compartments that makes it really easy to go from compartment to compartment without mixing them together. And maybe your brain doesn't work that way. I'm not saying that Todoist is the right tool for everyone, but I am saying that you have to find the right tool. Otherwise, you're just fighting all the time. To clarify, too, my having visualized not only what we need to do in this podcast, but what I do with my own personal flow allowed me to go in and make the... To, to organize the structure and to do it for this show relatively easily because I already understood how it was going to look. I just had to go in and replicate that within the app. And then also at the same time, it allows me to do something that I've been wanting to do for a while, which is I'm, I'm, it's, it's an experiment right now, but I'm trying to, for my personal to do's to use nothing but Siri and the Apple's reminders app. And for anybody who knows how I organize things and structure things, or you've gotten the gist from the way I explain that, that is baffling because uh, there's barely any organization abilities in Reminders app. But because I understand that structure, I found a way to replicate it in there. Because what I realized recently is what is becoming increasingly more and more important to me is to be able to ask Siri to just remind me of something. And because I find myself more and more 
needing to just really quickly say, I'm not going to say it and set off my phone and my iPad right now, but hey, lady, can you remind me to do this later? (laughs) And just know that that's saved somewhere and that I can organize it and move it, whatever list I need to later. But just knowing that, okay, that's there. And, uh, And that relatively most of the time she understands what I say. Although, uh, having played with a little bit of the iOS 11 on my iPad, uh, she's a lot smarter and understands me a lot better. So it's, this is, uh, going back to what Lamb has been, um, reiterating is finding the right tools. So for, for me right now, the right tool for my personal stuff is reminders. The right tool for this podcast is not reminders. Because the sharing to-do list functions in there is is not going to work for Lamb and I. And plus, it would get in the way of all my stuff because I have a full screen of, of lists already. Imagine if I had to add seven more for this show. Now I'm having to sift through scenes. So now I just, when I get a notification on Todoist, I know what it's about. It's about random badassery. Sure. And I like that feeling. And keeping them separate is pretty important too. Like, I mean, even if Todoist is the greatest app in the world um, for for doing my personal stuff, I really don't think that I would use it um, because I have so much of the random badassery stuff in there. Um, I would want to keep them in completely different. Like, you don't want to you don't want to work in your bedroom and you don't want to sleep in your office. And I think that that's that's something that the older I get and the the more the more I want to have calm and happiness in my life, the more I want to keep those com- those things compartmentalized so that I can change my mentality and my emotional state from one environment to the next. And I think that apps work the same way. I'm laughing right now because you know that uh, I I sleep in my office and, and work in my bedroom. Ah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you have... You have my like, bed while you sleep. <laughs> And for some people, they don't need that. I know that um, some people have tried, like, for example, they love OmniFocus and love Todoist. And I've seen um, people, oh, I'm going to use Todoist for this and OmniFocus for that. And I think I think what falls apart in those problems is um, both of those apps are so distinct and so powerful and so power user focused that it becomes an obstacle. Whereas my system, current system, is is interesting to me because Reminders is so simple. And Todoist, I can really drill down in. And sure. I don't need to drill down. In in reality, I don't need to drill down with my personal tasks very often. Most of my personal tasks are things that come in and are gone within a week. Sure. You know, with the exception of the list of, of things that recur over and over again. You know, like, hey, doofus, don't forget to buy your mom a birthday present. Um, hey, don't forget to make reservations on Mother's Day. Uh, hey, don't forget to pay for your Amazon Prime every year. You know, like those things that recur like that. But for the most part, stuff come on the plate and they're gone. Whereas uh, the stuff that we do, it's it's more it's it's more about us being able to see those tasks, see each other's tasks. Sure. And you know that collaborate that collaboration is more more the heart of it, which is why to do is such a great tool for that. Yeah, and I also like the fact that. It, because of how amorphous some of our stuff is sometimes, I mean, there, there, you know, today was a great example. We had to shift things quickly um, 
you know, not just for the episode itself, but for our guest. Um, so there are a lot of things that had to happen in a very short period of time. And without a logical and simple place to be able to change those things for both of us at once, having both of us do that in our respective separate environments would have been a nightmare. The one of the great things about to do is too, is that postpone button. Oh yeah. You know, there's also the automatic reschedule, which, um, it's not going to work for me because I don't have my personal stuff in there, so it has no idea what the majority of my schedule is, but still a great feature. So uh, this has been a very long episode. It's been a bonus episode. It's been a weird one. Um, you guys don't know this, but we had like an hour detour in the middle of this episode, and hopefully you can't even tell where that happens if we're good at this. But uh, we... I don't know if I, I don't want to say we, I'm going to say I, and then we'll see how Lamb feels. <laughs> this, this bonus episode, this kind of um, detour thing, you know what it, it kind of made me feel while we were doing this was, oh, wow, we've reached the point where we can kind of just come on here and, and do anything, you know, to where it's like, whoa, maybe, you know, the format, we don't need to always be so strict to the format. Hmm. I, I feel similar to that. Um, but I feel like, it's because both you and I have a reservoir of, of of interest and knowledge now because of the podcast. We're almost every waking day of my life, I'm thinking about the podcast in some way. You know, whether it's um, researching, you know, looking at um, an artist to interview and checking out their work, or or, or the tips and and tools, the tools and, and and techniques episode where I'm I'm figuring out new productivity tools. There, there's it, this podcast has been the catalyst for so many different things like i think for me it's a momentum maintainer um and so because of that i think we could literally probably talk for at least 30 to 40 minutes every single day and never run out of things to talk about that's that's one of the things i wanted to say too i hope that we're doing the same for you guys in some way that this is opening up doors for you guys because that's that's our whole purpose for being here that's what we want to do here and i hope specifically this episode i'm going to title this episode reorganize your life because I feel like that's all we talked about here. And that's a title worthy of a bonus episode. Uh, and I hope that we delivered on that in both aspects. We talked about the mental stuff, and now we talked about some of the nitty-gritty. And that's one of the things that Lamb and I have been talking about that we're really, we're really enjoying about this show is that we're able to get the nitty-gritty. Uh, you know, they, when I was first starting out writing, they always said, write the book that you want to read. Well, we're making the podcast that we want to listen to because I'm tired of going into a podcast episode and not getting out of it what's promised to me in the title or the description. It's frustrating. And, and there's many reasons that it happens. There's nobody um, should be shamed for that. But I want to always continually make this show more and more about delivering on the promise that we give. So, uh, Here's an interesting thing before we close out. Um, we've been asking you guys for a fair amount of time, uh, fairly strongly last week, to rate and review us on iTunes. I don't think you're ever going to hear us ask for that ever again, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like I'm pouting or something. No, the reason for that is uh, ratings and reviews are gone from the Apple Podcast app. They're gone. They removed them. <laughs> they are not a part of the Apple Podcast thing anymore. And uh, I don't know what that means. Um, I have a feeling uh, Apple has said that they're going to start delivering um, fuller analytics to us podcasters to show us uh, 
when you guys stop listening, uh, when you skip, uh, when you fast forward, we're supposed to get that kind of info. I'm not sure I want to see that stuff. It might be depressing. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, oh, we have this many listeners, but they all stop after three minutes. But I have a feeling that maybe the charts on iTunes will now be driven by straight analytics, which is it's, it's an improvement to the system that they had before. The only thing that's frightening for us is that all almost all of you guys right now are on Overcast. <laughs> and so are we, to be honest. We listen on Overcast, too. Yeah, seriously. I don't think I've listened to a podcast on the native app in months. And even if and even if there is a podcast that I, I, I listen to on the native app, I usually try to find it on Overcast. So what we're going to start doing at the end of these episodes or at any point in these episodes is we're going to start asking you for something different and actually something way, way easier. We're going to ask you for two things. Keep giving us those stars on Overcast. Those are great. Those oh, That's how we found a lot of you guys, or at least how you found us, I should say. But also, a big one, if your Overcast is connected to Twitter, sharing sharing our episodes on Twitter, and sharing or just sharing our episodes in general. If you're a big Facebook user, share our episodes on Facebook. If you've got a cousin in Toledo that wants to hear what we're talking about, that maybe is a big Nick Cave fan, send them a link to our Nick Cave episode. Just start sharing this around, because we're, we're going to rely on this to be grassroots. We're going to rely on you guys to help this grow. And now you don't have to go in and do all the complicated stuff that it takes to rate and review on iTunes. All you have to do is find something you like and tell somebody else that you liked it. Ow!